Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. It's more casual conversation compared to our other Scripts and Scribes podcast, um, where we bring back some of our favorite guests, friends, um, people we just like. Uh, and today I'm chatting with script guru, a screenwriting coach, and all-around awesome person, Lee Jessup. How's it going, Lee? <laughs> it's going great, especially after that intro. Yeah. No, I mean, you're awesome. And, uh, you know, every time I talk to somebody about you, all they can do is gush about how awesome you are. So... Um, and you know, I just have a lucky, lucky place to be in. And, and all I can do is go, yeah, I know, I know, I know she is. <laughs> so, um, no, well, thanks for coming back on. It's always great to talk to you. It's great to talk to you as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And fellowship season's coming up uh, for all the mm-hmm. TV fellowships. And I thought, I don't know, we thought maybe it would be interesting to chat a little bit about that because between now and I guess May is when a majority of the fellowships uh, you know, are taking submissions, whether it's NBC Writers on the Verge or the ABC Disney, the Warner Brothers, Writers Workshop, CBS Writers Intensive, whatever. Um, so maybe for those listeners who may not be very familiar with the uh, fellowships, what are these TV fellowships? Who are they for? And uh, what sort of opportunities do they provide? Well, the TV fellowships are really... Um an incubator writing programs that are put together by either the networks or by organizations that are connected with networks in cases like Humanitas, um, which actually is just closed for submissions a few days ago, a few few days prior to the recording of this. Um, But they're really incubator for television programs and networks um, in order to help find the next generation of writers, right? Because ultimately, writers are constantly graduating from position to position when they are in a TV show. Nobody really, you know, becomes a lifetime staffer. Um, You are a staff writer for a long period of time. If you have smart representation, if you are producing good work, hopefully you will move up to story coordinator, story editor, um, onto co-producer, executive producer, consulting producer, and ultimately you know, all the way up to if you're lucky and you have the content um, and are able to sell your own original work all the way up to showrunners. So Mm. ultimately, there needs to be an influx of staffers, right, of staff writers who are coming in at the lowest writer level. Um, So one step up from writer's assistant um, who can continue to kind of do the work uh, to continue to execute the pages. Um, And this is where the fellowships are really coming to identify those writers who not only have the talent, um, but have the stamina to survive a television writing schedule, which is really, really intense. Um, And because of that, we have these incubator programs in order to not only vet writers who are getting into the fellowship level, but then within the fellowship level, identify writers who are suited to move on to staffing. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And a lot of them are diversity-oriented, like the ABC, Disney, diversity. But then there's a few that aren't, like NBC Writers on the Verge and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you maybe describe or talk a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the differences between some of the fellowships? Sure. Um, You know, fellowships, they really range, you know, from every type of every shape. Um, The the big game changer this season and and one that just happened is is the HBO fellowship. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, or fellowship that just was announced last week. It's opening literally tomorrow morning at nine o'clock in the morning. We're recording this on a Tuesday, so it'll be on a Wednesday. Um, and is open only to the first uh, 1,000 entries. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is a diversity fellowship. So diversity is, is, you know, the big excluded category is young Caucasian male. 
mm-hmm. um, which is ironic because up until a few years ago, that was the easiest group to staff. Um, now we're finding the television's looking at a lot of diversity. And because of that, uh, fellowships are looking to fill diversity quotas. Right. Um, so NBC Writers on the Verge, as we said, is not um, a diversity fellowship, but we have things like Humanitas and HMC, which is a Hispanic fellowship. Um, Disney is, is a diversity fellowship. All of them have their specific criteria, mm-hmm. um, but because television gets effectively points, for having diversity writers in the room, there was just a huge um, article in Hollywood Reporter about the fact that um, shows that have a diversity-based room tend to get higher ratings. There's a real push for diversity. Um, We're also seeing our audience diversifying with things like Empire. So there's been a real push for that. Now, some fellowships pay. So, for example, the Disney Fellowship and Humanitas are with pay. Um, The HBO Fellowship is one week of classes. Um, CBS is six months of classes. Warner Brothers is very much the same. Um, where, you know, but Warner Brothers does feed into staffing, um, more so than, than others do. Um, so there really is different structure and different formats. Jen Grisanti teaches writers on the verge. Um, you know, NBC, oh, I'm sorry, ABC, Disney, um, really expects its writers to come in and give the fellowship, it's full-time attention. Um, so they do function differently. And because of that, it's really important that writers read the fine print. Mm-hmm. For example, the HBO fellowship, while you get, you know, eight writers will gain entry to a week of master classes in Santa Monica in August. If you are from New York, they're not going to be playing, paying your airfare and your housing. So you really have to look at what you can do, what you can stomach. Um, you know, a big thing also for writers is you have to look at, at how your voice matches the general tone of the fellowship that you're applying to. So if you write really dark, gritty stuff, certainly don't apply to Nickelodeon. Right. Um, it's just not going to be a fit. Um, ABC Disney often feeds into um, ABC Family, but they've also staffed for revenge from there. So you don't have to assume that you know, if you don't want to be writing for the Fosters, you shouldn't be applying to ABC Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do want to look at the tone. You do want to look at, in general, what is this fellowship and the owner of the fellowship doing, and do you fit into the general mission? So, if, you know, if you only do super serialized melodrama, you probably won't fit with CBS, who's a bit more procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a lot of kind of identifying of it. I always tell writers if you have any diversity in you whatsoever, um, <laughs> use it and apply because it really is a fantastic launching pad. I have um, a couple of writers in fellowships this year. One of my writers just got staffed out of the Warner Brothers television workshop into the 100. She's supposed to be staffed this year. So I'm seeing those real results. Um, and I've seen them in the past as well. I'm just speaking to this year because it's front of mind. Um, and I've seen my writers previously go into fellowships and then graduate from there. You had Tanya Bhattacharya on, um, and on Scripts and Scribes. She mm-hmm. went through a couple of fellowships, and that's how she got her recognition and her start. Right. Um, so they're a really valid launching pad. Um, you know, at once in a while, I'll have a writer show up and say, I'm a child of divorce. Can I apply? Um, sadly, <laughs> that won't work. But short of that, anything, you know, if you're an eighth something, like go and apply because they're a great way to surface. But that said, there's a huge deal of competition because 
you know, it's anywhere from four spots to 12 spots. Humanitas is four spots. HBS in the eight. Um, CBS, I think this year is six or eight. Warner Brothers is, I think, was seven. Um, so there, there isn't a crap load of spots. Mm-hmm. They really are looking to find people who can not only create, but as I said earlier, really survive the regiment of television writing, which is, you know, you have to train up to that. Yeah. In addition to being the all around awesome person that we know and love, you're also a screenwriting <laughs> coach. Um, what sort of advice do you give to your students? I don't know what you would call them associates. So the, you know, you're my writer, it's my clients. You're your clients. <laughs> uh, what sort of advice do you give them in terms of preparing for, fellowship you know applying to fellowships obviously you, you need a spec and it's a spec of something mm-hmm. that's that's has aired last season um which we can yeah. go into in a little bit in just a second in terms of choosing something to spec uh but what sort of just general advice do you give to your clients in terms of uh, applying to these fellowships well my focus in coaching is career coaching right so everything that i look at i look at from the overall body of work the voice of the writer right. the long-term career perspective um, you know, that, that's where I come in. So for me, something that's really important for me in specking is that the spec match the voice of the original that the writer already has under their belt. Because if you look at something like what happened with ABC Disney last year, they announced four weeks prior to deadline that they're now expecting an original spec mm-hmm. or an original pilot to go along with their spec. This is four weeks out. Right. So I, I do think that more and more fellowships are asking for that. Um, I don't know if NBC is asking for it this year, um, but I know CBS did. Um, Humanitas is certainly asking for an original. Sundance uh, Lab asked for an original. Um, HBO is an original. Um, so I do find that it's really important for writers to find a connective tissue between what they're specking and what their original is, because we want to understand who the writer is. I want to be able to look at two pieces, um, one that is original work and one that is an extension of existing work and say, okay, I understand who this writer is. So if you write, you know, a really dark one hour drama um, about the KKK as your original and then move on to write a half hour modern family spec, I'm going to be confused about who it is that I'm bringing to the room. And now that everything is so, career-oriented. It, it is about the cohesion of the writer, the clarity of who the writer right. is, what they do best. Um, so, of course, you want to look at shows that are on the approved list. Um, most fellowships have those. If they don't do a blank, blanket statement, we will accept an original pilot or a feature like HBO. Um, they will have a list of the shows that they're accepting. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you have to be on that list. Um, but you want to spec a show that is close to your voice and that is close to your original, something that makes sense to you. Um, so one of my writers who got into Humanitas last year, um, or was it this year? It's actually this year. They just announced in January. I'm, I'm just flashing forward already since we're in the next <laughs> fellowship season almost. Yep. Um, she's in Humanitas. So she had a fantastic, gritty, L.A. gangland um, kind of original. And to go along with it, she had a fantastic Sons of Anarchy mm-hmm. spec. And so you could see who this writer is. And this writer is always the same writer. And you can see that in her, in the work that she's developed for Humanitas since she also made it into the CBS Fellowship, but the work that she's developed there, there's no question about who the writer is. And we want to start to understand it um, with bios, with letters, 
and then with the material itself. So it's always fine material that's close to your voice, fine material that is current, that's not stale. So you probably don't want to spec a show that's in its seventh season. It's just going to be seen as a little bit more tired. Um, You know, you want to stay current. Um, You want to look at kind of what is coming up in television that's really exciting to people. Um, You know, for like half-hour writers, I think Archer is a great show if it fits with your voice because it's so different and cool. Um, You know, and clearly there's lots more. There's Blackish this year. A lot of people got in for the past few years on on girl sex. Um, One hours are really about fitting your voice. Are you, you know, one hour kind of comedic writer? So is Shameless, Shameless Orange is the New Black up your alley? Or are we talking about something that's a procedural like The Blacklist? Or are we talking about something that's more of a serialized drama like Ray Donovan or The Americans um, that we're seeing a lot more of? Um, So it really is about understanding where your voice fits and how it works how your spec works in relation to the original, because at this point, anything can change at any moment. Um, and you just want to be ready. And I do find that, you know, ironically, this is the time that a lot of writers are only starting to think about what they're specking, right? Because, you know, deadlines, first deadlines are May 1. Right. Um, if you ignore the ones that we, that we pass, like Humanitas, that doesn't require a spec and, um, Sundance, and now, and now we have uh, HBO that just sprouted up, but mm-hmm. the, the traditional network fellowships are just starting to close in a couple of months. So, if, so I know plenty of writers who are now considering what to spec and doing their research, but you do, you know, you do have to do your prep work. So, you know, you have to really sit down and beat out what you're writing. Like if you're in LA, go to WGA library, sit down with some of those scripts, see what they're like. If you're not in LA, just record some of those shows and beat them out. Mm-hmm. And see what the structure is like. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of prep work. You don't just sit down one day and you know decide to write an Archer. Right. Just because you've seen all the episodes of Archer does not necessarily mean that you really understand what makes that show work per se. You may have the oh, tone. Absolutely. You may have the tone of it because you've watched so much of it. But actually, the structure you'd be surprised when you start breaking it down scene by scene. You know, what are their uh, not just what are the jokes like. But, you know, how often do they come and and what are the character arcs and all this kind of stuff that... Absolutely. What's your ABCD stories? What are, you know, what are your highs? What are your lows? What are your act outs? Mm -hmm. How do they interweave? What are the goals of each? I mean, TV is such a stringent structure. I do find that, like, it's the one space where there is no wiggle room. You can't Mm. kind of get away with it. Right. Um, So you, you totally have to just go and break it down and break it down and break it down because... Good TV has seamless structure, but it's so regimented. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where, you know, I, I usually give my writers, like most of my writers who are specking, we started talking about this in December. So, you know, holidays was a great time to sit down and watch a crap load of TV. I mean, great homework assignment. It's literally your job. Go watch a lot of TV. Find the show that's your show. Watch the entire season. Figure out whether you're doing an in-between season episode or, you know, an in-between episode episode. So is it going to be, you know, episode 5.5 or is it going to be a between season episode? How does that work for you? Um, you know, you really have to think through all these things. Now, that said, I, like I said, I have writers that are showing up now and saying, oh, crap, I forgot. I have to back. I have to start something. And that's perfectly fine. It's just accelerating that work and understanding that a lot of people are entering and there's more and more knowledge base out there about television structure so you really have to you know up your game for this sure 
Absolutely. And you touched briefly on obviously avoiding specking shows that have been around too long. Um, but there's mm -hmm. also sort of a danger of specking something. I think that's it's in its first season. You know, you want something I think it's yeah. been out a couple seasons, but not too many seasons. And it's that weird kind of juggling act as well. Um, for people yeah. who want to spec something that's very serialized, uh, like a Game of Thrones or um, what's something else like uh, Homeland or something like that, that's not... Um, a procedural, which obviously has a beginning, middle, and end every episode, mm -hmm. but something that, or The Walking Dead, for example. How do you, yeah. what, what do you, what kind of advice do you give them in terms of coming up with a story that sort of fits within that world, but doesn't go too far off the rails to where it's, you know, sort of outrageous and, and, and takes you away from like, oh, I killed half the characters in The Walking Dead. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I mean, the, the first kind of big rule is they always have to put all the toys back in the toy box, the end of your spec. Mm -hmm. So you can't write off anybody, you can't kill anybody, you know, nobody can change genders in that particular <laughs> episode. Um, you know, you really have to stick to what they, you know, how do we move forward? I like finding those threads that weren't connected, mm -hmm. which every serialized show has. So, for example, my, my writer who wrote the Sun spec really kind of went and looked at the reality of the time of that spec. Nobody had yet examined why um, child protective services weren't coming into the picture to enforce the authority's powers. Mm -hmm. It's a thread that was picked up a season later. Sure. Um, but you find those threads that weren't connected, you know, relationships that were accelerated in certain ways because you can only do so much in a 12 or an eight or 12 episode season. Um, so it is finding those threads, those story threads, those unanswered questions that are raised in a season that may not, that will likely not have been addressed in this season, but rather are, you know, kind of sowing seeds for future seasons. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's where I like to look at, you know, finding those threads, um, finding those kind of missing episodes, and you have that everywhere. I mean, any sure. show that you watch religiously that you know inside and out, there will always be that, you know, one particular storyline that they didn't pursue the way that you want to be pursued or that question that wasn't answered that you can suddenly turn into an A story and really focus on in an in-between episode. I think the challenge with doing a, an episode, a, a new season episode, is that it's likely that by the time you write it and submit it and will be in consideration, the new season will have started. Right. Um, and in all likelihood, they will do something different. So instantly you're wrong. Right. Um, you know, there's some shows that are kind of slow to develop, so certainly you can go with it and go nuts, but shows that have specific pacing that are constantly moving forward aggressively um, will do something different. So it's not kind of the missing piece that you're writing as a spec. If you're writing, an, you know, an episode 3, 3.1, um, or season 3 for a show, and you're writing episode 3.1, um, you're writing kind of the next chapter, but there's going to be a next chapter to trump yours. There's some shows that I do feel that you can get away with it, shows where it's a lot more character and a lot less story, mm -hmm. um, but shows where we have a lot of plot progression um, season to season, you really want to find those threads and focus in on them um, and answer those questions because that is where you can be really useful and add something without distorting anything from the show that later 
you know, kind of get back at you. Right. Plus, I think if you spec a show that's been on for a couple seasons and it's not in its first season, it stands, Mm -hmm. chances are it stands a better chance of getting picked up. And so that you can use that spec the next, you know, next year on a different fellowship if you only applied to one or you could, you know, it, it, it has a longer shelf life, I think, than writing a spec on something that it's in its first season, maybe even second season, and it gets canceled. And all of a sudden you've got pretty much, I mean, a great exercise. <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, the the interesting thing is that more and more people are turning to TV for serialized drama. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that that's what's exciting a lot of writers to go to go into this world because we are doing Breaking Bad because there's Game of Thrones. So in, in that case, it's hard to repurpose a spec, but it gives you the ability to really kind of play with that set of toys with the second season. Once, you know, there's a second season, you know, that the show is, quote unquote, safe. You can also understand the tone better. Mm-hmm. You can understand where it's going. Um, so, you know, you're likely not to be canceled by the time, uh, <laughs> you know, the show premieres and you're being considered for fellowships, which is an incredibly important thing. Mm-hmm. Even though right now everybody who's specking girls and looking is a little bit num- nervous because the numbers have been, and togetherness, because the numbers have not been great there. Right. Um, and they're on the bubble and, and girls has proven to be a great vehicle for going into fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you certainly want to write in the safe zone. And part of the reason that, um, first season shows are not accepted is that the direction of the show is still being figured out. The interesting thing was that last year, blacklist was uh greenlit for season two before the fellowship deadline, but they still weren't accepting, accepting blacklist because there was a need to see where in the world is going. Mm-hmm. Where's the show going? We still need to develop it further. So in season two is really when a show gets its legs. I mean, if you think back to Breaking Bad, um, you know, season one ended, you know, on the big escape from Chico, but it really took off and, and Heisenberg really came to be in season two, three, four. Um, so I think, I think fellowships really want to have writers dig in when there is more established about the show. Right. Where they are, there are more rules to play by. Um, and that, that's why you have to make consideration for that, but not right for a show that's so stale that we're, you know, on season 25 and it's just kind right. of like, oh, okay, another one. We're going to rehash yet another storyline because it's never going to have that kind of breath of fresh air mm-hmm. um, that a season two or three can have unless it's a truly serialized drama where every season has a different focus. Right. What's your take on writing? a spec for a television show that's super popular that would probably have a lot of similar interest from writers, meaning specking something that is super ultra popular that you know is going to have a hundred submissions that are similar versus, again, something Mm -hmm. that's a little bit smaller, like Archer, as opposed to a modern family, which, again, there's probably going to be dozens, if not hundreds of fellow modern family specs where there may not be as many of, you know, Archer or another small comedy. You know, I really feel there's two schools of thought here and and I'm veering towards one, but for a very specific reason, Mm -hmm. the smaller the show you're writing for, the more likely you are to stand out for it. But you also face the reality of judges potentially not knowing the ins and outs of that show. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, little shows like if, Oh God, 
of course, now nothing's coming to mind, but if you set the bridge, for example, when the bridge was on the air, um, it was a smaller show. So the judges may not have been familiar with all the intricacies of the show. So those are the shows that you have to spec on a broader level on a less nuanced level. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can certainly stand out when you do that. Um, You know, I had a lot of writers last year write uh, specs for the Americans. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many American specs I heard about. It was everybody who was writing one hour action in any way, shape or form, suspense in any way, shape or form went to the Americans. Now, my concern there was that, holy crap, there's going to be so many Americans, nobody's going to get in. But in truth, Charmaine de Grappe, who's a client of mine, got into Warner Brothers with an American spec and ultimately ultimately went to be staffed on the 100 from there. Oh. Um, so here's somebody who wrote a spec for a show that many, 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 many others were writing for mm-hmm. and managed to surface. So I do think that if you write an exceptionally good spec for something that everybody else in your in your genre and your realm is specking, you do have a chance to stand out um, because the judges will have read so many of these and yours can really, really kind of shine the light on how good it can be. Right, right. Hmm. But again, I mean, I think you have to be super selective. I think, I think there's shows that are naturally tougher to spec um, that are in such a specific voice that you don't, you don't, you haven't seen get into fellowship. So things like newsroom, uh, you know, better call Saul, I think will be one of those tougher things to spec because it's such a specific voice. Breaking bad was the same thing. Um, you know, you have to find those shows that can speak to your voice and your sensibilities, um, rather than, you know, have to plug into something. It's really hard to plug into. I've seen so many people write, Veep specs, for example, I've seen very few really great Veep specs. I know Veep, I know the voice, and it's a really hard voice to nail down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it is about really considering what you're taking on and not being overly ambitious. You know, just because you love Game of Thrones doesn't mean you should spec it. Right. It's all, you know, can you actually write in that realm and can it be? Can it be conceived as something that would be part of that storytelling as opposed to your ode to that storytelling? You know, sometimes you, you, you may have to make the decision to go for a spec for a more grounded show if that's something that you can execute better. But it's all about, you know, what, what hits your sensibilities and your voice that you can execute to a T because these people are getting, or these fellowships, I shouldn't say people, even though people are reading scripts, these fellowships are getting, you know, Warner Brothers is 2000 scripts a year. Um, ABC Disney is very much the same. NBC is right there. CBS is right there. So it's a lot of material and it's only going to be growing, right? Because the TV field is growing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I were talking about this before we started about, you know, just how many more writers, for example, somebody like me, um, who comes from a film background, um, you know, who ran development for a production company where it was all film all the time. Half my clients now are TV writers. Um, and it's growing and I'll talk to my friends in representation where, you know, we were, you know, we would be having coffee together 10 years ago and talking about how writers want to break into TV and what, you know, how funny that is when our, you know, (laughs) film writers want to break into TV. And suddenly, you know, I had coffee with a friend of mine at Madhouse and, you know, he's telling me how 80% of his writers right now are TV writers. Yeah. Yeah. So you have more and more people that are pursuing this opportunity. I'm, personally really curious to see what happens with the HBO fellowship that's opening tomorrow. 
maybe you and I should just do a postmortem on that one yeah. um, a few days later, just because it's a thousand open spots. Two years ago to fill up a thousand spots for a television fellowship. I don't see it going so fast. Right now, uh, it may be filled up by Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I don't know, I'm curious. Yeah, because the, the landscape is changing so much and so fast, and there's no end in sight, right? There's more content. There's more outlets for television. So, yeah. you know, Netflix and Amazon that have the most to gain right now, they're just growing. You know, it's, yep. it's really, truly streamers that have more growth potential right now than anybody else because they're in, what, 40%, 50% of homes in the U.S.? Yep. That means they can double their business. And Hulu and Yahoo, and they're all starting and to do exactly. content. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And they all have a huge opportunity for adoption. So there's more and more opportunity for content. There's no end in sight. It's fascinating. That, that means that we have more and more content creators and more and more writers who want to get in this great game that was impenetrable up until a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, especially with the success uh, Netflix has had with House of Cards and Orange is the New yeah. Black. And it just all of a sudden TV and streaming TV, are, there's no longer that barrier between them. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, even fringe TV. I mean, like to me, CW was never one to take seriously. Suddenly, Jane the Virgin is, you know, the big thing in TV. They're winning an acting award. Transparent in House of Cards are yeah. the big thing. It's the landscape has changed completely. And, you know, when you, we talk to network people to even, you know, I have a lot of friends who are in, in original programming and caterers. The word is it's not about where your content is airing anymore. It's about the quality of the content. Mm -hmm. And that definitely sort of leads towards writing. You know, you can't have great yeah, content absolutely. with bad writing. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. The interesting thing is that, you know, for so long, film was the name of the game, right? But film mm -hmm. is truly a director's medium. Yeah. Now, suddenly, TV is in its golden age, and TV is a writer's medium. Yep. TV is truly a writer's world where, you know, directors change change over from show to show or from season to season or come in for, you know, Jodie Foster is directing House of Cards. Um, it's a prestige gig. Mm -hmm. um, it's a good name to bring on, no question, but it's truly in the showrunner's hands, the showrunner is the writer, is mm -hmm. the guy who, you know, is really escorting the story from beginning to end. Um, so I think, I think it's a really exciting time for writers. And we're also seeing, you know, writers coming off the web. Issa Rae just um, struck a deal with HBO. I don't know if you know who Issa Rae is. She did um, The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl, mm -hmm. or Awkward, Awkward Black Woman, I don't remember which. Um, but she just struck a deal on HBO. Um, to develop a show with Larry Wilmore. It's, it's really crazy the amount of great opportunities there are out there for great content creators. So I think, you know, while these fellowships have been there for a long time, they're also more and more eager to really find those right writers that can go a long way and can also, um, you know, in the long run, and I certainly don't mean this in the short run, but in the long run, validate um, the prestige of the network itself and heighten its quality because if if a network produces a Vince Gilligan that's a game changer for that network if it's a network that's known yeah. for more procedurals or you know more lowbrow work suddenly they they produce a Shonda mm -hmm. through a fellowship yeah that's mm -hmm. that's a game changer that's huge absolutely speaking of Vince Gilligan um I just saw what was it called? Battle Creek. Battle Creek. Yeah. 
I haven't seen that one yet. I recorded it. I liked it. How is it? Although I'm a, I'm a huge Vince Gilligan fan. I mean, I love. Yeah. He's just brilliant. And you throw in David Shore. It was directed by Brian mm-hmm. Singer. Um, again, it's it's it definitely is a procedural, which is yeah. sort of different than what you expect from Vince Gilligan. But the characters are are, inter- are interesting, and it definitely feels more like a network version of a Vince Gilligan uh, David Shore series. But again, I, I it it was enjoyable for me. I I, I actually got a kick out of it. So. Um, it, yeah, I can't but wait to see it. And... But if you're expecting Breaking Bad, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Um, oh, of course. And listen, he wrote this before Breaking Bad. Sure. So yeah. This is between X Files and Breaking Bad. Is you know the guy was trying to to get a job. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when you have the creator of Breaking Bad and the creator of House come together to do a police procedural, I mean, I was just very mm-hmm. curious to see what would actually come out of it. And it definitely felt a little more housey, but it did have some some edge to it, which I think was was kind of cool. Um, but it was smart, and I yeah, liked I it. can't wait to see it. It's it's sitting in my queue. It's yeah. it's next up on the list. I'm stoked. Um, have you been watching uh, Better Call Saul? I have been watching Better Call Saul. Actually, you know, all the warning signals about it's nothing like Breaking Bad to me were a little bit of overkill because yeah. I saw a lot of Breaking Bad in it. Um, yeah, no, absolutely enjoying it. Uh, you know, just started on the new House of Cards, mm-hmm. um, finished The Missing. I watch a lot of TV and I always feel like I'm behind. That is kind of my story. And that, um, you and know, that, there's never enough time. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, especially if you want to work in TV, you need to watch a lot of television. Uh, and not just, oh, absolutely. you know, the half a dozen shows that are your favorites. But mm-hmm. when staffing season comes around, if you have meeting network meetings, if you have showrunner meetings... Uh, you have to have oh, seen yeah. these shows, the shows that they've worked on. And it, the more you've seen, the better it is. Uh, so Yeah, you have to know the shows. You have to know what's in the zeitgeist. You have to be able to talk about the work. You have to talk about what you're excited about on television, um, you know, that is current. You can't really go in and say, well, um, you know, Sopranos was a great show. I'm so excited about <laughs> it. It has to be current. Yeah, I love Game um, of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> great yeah, yeah so but we you all... have to really yeah you have to really understand what's happening in television now my writers i was sitting with a writer yesterday and and you know to her detriment she's a great writer she's super talented she hates watching tv yeah and she's her agent is getting ready to send her out on staffing season and it's literally her diet right now is watching television luckily she works with a writing partner who i can make hold her accountable um but she has to watch these shows because you can't walk in and not be able to to answer what are you excited about on TV right now and right. why and what are the storylines that are standing out for you. Right. So, you know, and to me, it's, you know, how cool is your job when what you have to do is watch a lot of TV? Right. And from the TV writers, producers that I've spoken to, or, you know, who, who have been staffed, who have been senior mm-hmm. level positions on different shows, a couple of the criteria that they find are most important in newer writers one is being able to take uh criticism and and being rewritten mm-hmm. you know having the ability to be accept to accept being rewritten which is huge a lot of mm-hmm. people take it real personal it's it's my writing no you're that's not the case at all you are working on someone else's show you will get Absolutely. rewritten and you will get rewritten a lot um another yeah. one is uh 
always remember that you're writing somebody else's show. Not your vision of what their show should mm-hmm. be, but their vision. You're coming to extend somebody else's show. So as a ta- staff writer, you're totally right. You're there to shut up and listen and execute. Yeah. And you're going to be written and rewritten. And a lot of writers will do this thing of like, granted, it's a lot of writers who are not in the now, but I, I hear it all the time. Oh, I, I have this great original pilot. I'm going to sell it and I'm going to run the show. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. It doesn't I mean, happen. It, that's being... It doesn't happen. It's being no. being assigned the job of CEO of a very large multi-million dollar company right. without having understood the business practices of how this company works. And right. part of being in the room and clocking your time as a staffer is learning to understand how, the, how this whole machine works from the bottom up. Being able to extend somebody's show, extend somebody's existing work, uh, being able to take those notes and be dedicated to the room um, and not complain and not bitch when somebody got your lunch order wrong um, or when you're working long hours because this is how you move up. There's a very specific ladder here. And it's very, very rare to see somebody go from absolute nobody, never staffed on anything, to a senior-level producer, let alone a showrunner. And certainly we see times where somebody's award is awarded a senior-level producer title but then is quickly fired from their own show, which that's fun. Um, right. But that also speaks to a lack of experience, um, a lack of experience in the room and a lack of understanding of how it all works um, that ultimately will be the writer's undoing. Yeah, because just because you can write a great script doesn't mean you have the personality or uh, experience, especially, to work mm-hmm. with a hundred other people, to deal with the network and the network notes. You can't be fighting with a network over a name because they want you to change the name of a character because mm-hmm. of some legal issue or something. You just, you have to be able to work with all of these people and all the rules and the structure in which you're given by the network uh, and... I think not having had that experience, they don't trust you to be able to do that. It's not the kind of thing you can learn on the job while you're doing it. That's, no. That's the reason no. you have to have a showrunner who's experienced come in. Inevitably, yeah. It's, it's part of, you know, it's part of how you run a company. And, and you see that, if you look at just, you know, standard business structure, right? A guy who has a great idea for a startup right. um, from his kitchen. And ultimately, his company suddenly gets, $50 million of seed money, which is roughly what it can cost to do a show over a season if it's a big show. Mm-hmm. Um, you better you better believe that if they're smart, they're going to bring in a CEO to run right. the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Somebody who knows how to manage $50 million and properly allocate it to different divisions and grow the business and understand business growth and modeling and all of those things. So it's expected in every other form of business. Right. Um, this is very much the same thing. Ultimately, this business produces entertainment, um, but there's a huge investment of capital. Yeah. Um, there's huge cost to episodes. I mean, granted, we've, we're no longer in a time where Vince Gilligan will produce an episode for $100,000 or $200,000 like he did Breaking Bad. Uh-huh. Doing things on a much bigger scale, specifically when you're talking networks, we are talking a bigger scale. We are talking more money. Right. Um, you know, if you're talking about you know, $3 million an episode for The Blacklist, uh, 24 episodes over a season, that's a lot of money over a year. Right. Um, so you have to bring people that are equipped to handle that and, and can also people who can understand the politics of a room. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how does a supervising producer work with a co-producer, work with a staff writer? Um, you know, who are the allies? How do people work together? Who can you override? Who can't you override? 
who are your allies? You have to be in the room in order to understand that Mm -hmm. and understand that every room has dynamics that you need to identify. Right. We were talking a little bit earlier about your screenwriting support group. And, uh, Uh, my, my, my little, uh, my little pet, my 2015 pet. Yeah. Um, so, I have a new kitten and a new and a new screenwriter support group, so I'm nurturing them both. <laughs> uh, so, w- what's going on with your screenwriting support group? Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I have a big thing about writers' community. Mm-hmm. I think that writers are too isolated and insulated, work too much in a bubble, don't right. have a, a resource to go to for questions, don't know other writers, don't have the venue to find other writers. Um, so, you know, I'm in a, here in LA, I'm involved in a lot of of kind of in your face initiatives, right? One one of my writers started a meetup group that we do every couple of months. And there are a couple of support groups that have brought me into the room here that I didn't spend time with. But I find that those opportunities are too kind of few and far between. So in an effort to bridge them, desire to give writers more of a community and more of make writing more of their normal daily diet or weekly diet or monthly diet or whatever, however it is you want to see it. Um, I started this online screenwriter support group um, where writers become members of the group. They are first and foremost part of our monthly calls where they get to submit questions, have their questions answered, have a monthly topic discussed, um, some industry um, highlights, some stories from the front from the front line because it's, it's already a fairly large group that is going to be capped because um, we can only um, offer this to, to so many people before it gets too large and there are too many questions and it's too much all over the place. Um, most of it is run by me. So writers submit questions ahead of time, but we're also investigating things like um, offering a few writers each session the opportunity to pitch material, um, to bring up log lines, to really give writers this anchor, this monthly anchor, um, where they can get questions answered, where they have something that they're looking forward to. I also do some goal setting with each of the writers and the group so that I can keep some broad view on how they're progressing. Because, you know, I, I'm, I feel for writers who are disconnected from a community who have to keep it going on their own. And I look at building a screenwriting career as a marathon. Mm-hmm. It's really freaking hard to train for a marathon on your own. You can sprint on your own all day long, but marathon takes a lot more continuity and consistency and all of those things that are that are necessary uh, for success there. So that's where support groups um, was the space that support group was was created to fill. Luckily for me, it took off kind of right off the bat. Um, we're already at almost fifty members. We just launched, um, and it's going to be capped at a hundred. So that's we're halfway awesome. there, but it's. So yeah, do, it's half full already. How does one join the screenwriting support group? Uh, one goes to my website, leejessup.com. There's a big banner for group on my homepage. I am offering a free trial right now because it's really important for me that people you know, feel comfortable once they start spending money on it. It's not 24 bucks a month. But once they do, they know what they're buying into and they're comfortable with that commitment as opposed to saying, oh, well, I didn't really get what it was and Sure. You know, I spent money on something I didn't understand. So because of that, there's a free trial. So that because there isn't another thing out there exactly like this, and I can't say, oh, go look at the thing that Amy's doing. It's exactly right. like this, but here's how it's a little different. Um, you know, there is a free trial offer. The free trial is going to likely um, be removed when we get to about 80, which I think is about two months out. Um, so, yeah, just go to my website, leejessup.com. 
um, and click into the group and it will prompt you through. And you get a one-month free trial, and if you like what you hear, you get to stay on. So use your Netflix free trial, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> screenwriting support for Netflix free trial. Um, that's exactly. cool. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Only I have a lot more opinion than Netflix. Right. So I will say that for myself. Just, uh, just on a, I don't know, for fun, what are, what are some of the worst shows you think to spec this year would be? Are there any shows um, that you've seen that uh, you think, you know, you really probably shouldn't spec this show. Well, first of all, just don't spec anything that already got canceled. So yeah. really any half hour comedy on network other than blackish, like don't do it. Right. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's fascinating. Um, I always think like the soaps are, mm. are really kind of a, a cheap writer's game. And by soaps, I don't mean like daytime soaps. Right. Like don't spec Nashville. Um, you know, it's too early for empire, but even if we are a year later, Right. I know it's a high profile show, but it's still, you know, super soapy. Right, right. Kind of show. If you want to spec, spec a soapy show, go The Scandal Well. Right. Um, you know, anything that's, you know, a little bit lowbrow. Like if you want to spec something that is super kind of futuristic sci fi or fantasy driven, do Sleepy Hollow. Don't do, you know, anything on CW. Maybe right. The Flash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what no, because those are just not going to be taken as seriously. Right. No, that's true. What's your view on uh, the procedurals that are franchises? For example, the uh, CSIs and NCISs that can sort of blend together uh, because there's so many of them. <laughs> uh, what's your take on speculation? You said like politely. That? Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to do a, a procedural, do a blacklist. Right. Um, do something that is like, uh, you know, Chicago, whatever, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, whatever Chicago thing we're doing right now, something that's a little bit fresher, something that isn't law and order. We've been doing this for 20 some odd years, right? Um, because then it's just yet another storyline that they likely did 18 years ago and you don't know. Right. Um, Especially if you haven't watched so, the entire know, run. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, you likely don't have 300 hours to spend, or at least I hope you don't on, you know, the last 20 years of Law & Order. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you can look at the newer stuff that's going on, like CSI Cyber that's coming out, um, you know, some criminal minds, um, the more recent iterations, if you really want to go there. Um, but I do think that they're kind of more, they're fresher uh, procedurals, the biggest one being the blacklist. Mm -hmm. um, and that it's, you know, there there is that, traditional case of the week um you you can still adhere to that structure but you have more of a serialized drama as well that's unfolding there in the relationship between um the james Spader character and our fbi agent mm -hmm. um so you want you want to you want to be the future of tv and i think for fellowships you really have to be able to show that while you can adapt to what is going on now and while you can extend a show within the structure of the show and the parameters of the show. So you're certainly not trying to say, okay, I'm going to take, you know, whatever, um, CSI and, and put in a, an alien and, and take us to the moon because that's what's going to happen next. You want to stay within the confines of the show, but still have a forward facing voice. Right. Um, and for that, your show selection, if you want to go procedural has to be, a more current show selection. I thought, you know, House to me was a great procedural because it was, while there was a case of the week, it was very much about that character. Right. Um, and we still see more of those 
granted, this is not my greatest area of strength because admittedly, I'm not a big procedural viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have those avenues, but you do want to display yourself as forward facing as opposed to somebody who is nostalgic for television of 15 years ago and trying to resurrect it right. or trying to continue it because television is evolving so quickly. What's your take on using specs, um, meaning, uh, you know, for shows currently on the air uh, as writing samples as opposed to original material, you know, an original spec? Uh, as a you know, it's sample. really interesting. About a year ago, I had lunch with some friends over at WMA. Mm-hmm. And they gave me this big lecture about, you know, tell writers to stop writing goddamn originals for TV. It's all about sex, 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 sex. And I, I had lunch with the same group um, about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And all of them sat there and said, yeah, there's clearly no, no point to sex anymore. Yeah. A writing sample has to be an original. Right. Sure, when you know when you're considered for staffing, they may want to be able to see that you do X well, um, and for that you want to be able to have a strong spec just to show that you can extend. But oftentimes they will be able to see that off of just your vision for an original, the Bible that you have along with it, the decks that you've created for the material, just to see where your thoughts going. And really, it's a, it's a personality game. The assumption I was going to be that your writing chops are there. So at this point, I'm really finding that the opportunity for television specs is becoming narrow and narrower and narrower, mm-hmm. and that it's going to it's going to fellowship. Some contests are expect are accepting them, and writers are surfacing through that. Um, but short of that, that's all you write specs for today. And and truly. If you, when you do go out for staffing, right, it doesn't happen without an agent in place. That just doesn't happen. So at that point, if your agent is sending you out and is saying, you know, I think you're going to be a great fit for procedurals, I'm going to start setting you up for generals. Please go and start writing, you know, a spec for CSI Cyber so we can show that you can do that. Mm -hmm. At that point, your agent will give you a little bit of that if they think that you're missing that in your body of work. If they think that you can't compensate for that in a general, um, they'll give you that guidance or, you know, sometimes it comes the opposite way of like, oh, I'd love to send you for that. But, you know, I don't have this kind of spec for you, so I can't send you up for that. Um, But very, very rarely do I see my writers these days who are going up for staffing um, be told that they need a spec. Mm -hmm. Usually it's about the original voice and what they have to contribute in the room. Right. And from what I understand, it's also for multiple reasons. Managers and agents, reps, like original material because they can also sell it. It's not just a writing sample. It's a sales vehicle. But from the other side, from showrunners' points of view, uh, a lot of them, they can tell you have a talent and ability based on an original piece of material. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of them are sick of reading uh, their 77th Mad Men spec. Exactly. It becomes down now, listen, to if, if you got in the room, the assumption is you can write. Right. Because if you can't, everybody who pushed you into that room is going to go down in flames. <laughs> it's going to be a big embarrassment. It's just, you know, it's not going to be good for anybody. Right. So the assumption is if you're in that room, you can write. So what is your voice? What do you have to contribute to this particular story, to these particular characters, to this world that we've created in order to make it bigger, better, more authentic, more interesting, for example, um, on looking on HBO, there was a writer who was brought in, um, who was a Hispanic writer, in order to enhance the voice of one of the of one of the characters who was Hispanic, Richie. 
Um, you know, there was an episode that was dedicated to going into his world and they wanted to authenticate it. And ultimately she ended up writing it um, because it was all about contributing to that character and making it as authentic and real as can be. So if you get into those rooms, the assumption is you can write. Uh, you know, the question is then, do you get, do they want to work with you? It's it's a 50-50 thing in TV. It's half shops, half personality. It really is. And it may even yeah. be more skewed towards personality than uh, because they. I wouldn't be. Surprised. They're gonna they're gonna I'd rewrite like you. So. Yeah, they're gonna rewrite you day in and day out. But it's you know it's about being able being first of all being pleasant to be with mm-hmm. day in and day out in a room. And some rooms are incredibly just incestuous. You're constantly together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you write in a, in a room that has effectively cubbies. Uh, some rooms are, you know, you, you get together in the morning or once a week and then you break out into your office or some rooms are not even a real room. Right. Um, you know, you go home and write. There are very few of those, but that that does exist. So, you know, do people want to spend that time with you? Are you agreeable? Are you going to know to pick your battles? Are you going to be, be able to take notes and criticism without, you know, walking out on day three and going, I'm done with this and how could they do this to, to my work? Right. Um, you know, I think the big thing about writing for TV is understanding that you're there in service of the show and that the show is not there in service of your writing. Right. Um, and kind of making that distinction, distinction makes a strong staff writer. Yeah. And Jeff Lieber, who created Lost with... Uh, uh, Damon J- Lindelof. Yeah, and J.J. Abrams. Uh, but he also, mm-hmm. he's the showrunner of NCIS New Orleans. He sort of broke it down in that a writing staff needs you know, three or four really strong writers who can churn out great episodes that don't need a ton of rewriting. You need to have probably one or two who are good on set, who you know you can send to set and sort of take over mm-hmm. and run the set and there won't be a lot of questions coming up from the set to bother the showrunner. You have to have one or mm-hmm. two that are good in the editing suite that you can send to the editing room to, you know, do a first cut of, of an episode and it's not going to need a ton of work uh, when the showrunner gets involved, you need one of or course. two. You need one or two in the writers' room who can get to keep the writers' room moving. Because especially in your eighth hour of sitting there staring at the wall trying to break a story, somebody who can keep the room motivated and energized. So there's all kinds of different personalities that are involved, in addition to being a good writer. That I think um, is 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 interesting. That I think if you're not sort of versed in that world, you may not realize. Um, that, mm-hmm. you know, in, in some cases writing is, is secondary. That's not to say you shouldn't be a great writer, but getting selected for a writing staff isn't generally solely based on your writing. In fact, it's often based on other things, personality wise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agreed. So, uh, what did we learn today? We learned that people <laughs> should be writing specs for fellowship soon because the deadline's starting in may for the, the you know the network fellowship absolutely we learned, is may one. we learned that they should go to leejessup.com and check out the screenwriter support group we Thank learned you. we learned that uh battle creek the first episode was pretty good and hopefully <laughs> it will continue uh to be good um at least i enjoyed it um what else did we learn today can i add on to that list sure absolutely we learned that writers need to be watching TV all the time. Yeah. Ingesting it, content, knowing the space really, really well. Yes. Prepping for their meetings. Yes. Now. If they don't, somebody else will. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, not 
when you get the meeting, but it helps to do a lot of yeah. that work now. Because it will come Yeah, it's all foundational work. It's, yeah. you got to do it all the time. Be sure to follow Lee on Twitter at Lee Z Jessup and visit her at LeeJessup.com. Um, thanks, Lee. Uh, as always, it's been... Thanks for having me. It's been great. Um, always a blast with you. Yeah. And for the latest updates on recently released and upcoming interviews and features, you can follow us on Twitter at ScriptScribes. You can also find us on Facebook and Google Plus and probably three other places that I'm not mentioning. And, of course, on our website, scriptsandscribes.com. <laughs> Thank you all for listening.